So yeah, it's awesome to be here. Thank you guys. Thank you, Manny, for having me. And thank you guys for showing up. So that's awesome. Um, my dad said to say hi to everyone. So he said, hey, tell me, he said hi. <laughs> um, love my dad. My dad's hilarious. So let's get into this. Okay, so we've been touring schools. I think we've been to, I, actually, I don't even know how many schools we've been to so far. But I do know over the last three years, we've seen 48 or 49,000 students give their life to the Lord in the last three years. In the public school system, we get uh, Gospels, of the Gideon, uh, Gospels of John from the Gideons and uh, thousands and thousands, and we just give them away everywhere we go. And uh, we just bring the good news. So I'm going to show you some photos. This is just a little highlight reel. These are schools that we've been to. Uh, people just coming to the Lord. We go to Seattle, where only 4% of people are Christians. Um, we went to Boulder, Colorado, which is the most liberal uh, city in the United States. New York, Florida, Denver, uh, Las Vegas, L.A. Uh, we went even went to Toronto, Canada, Mexico City, Cuernavaca, um, we're, Australia. I mean... We're going everywhere. Uh, we're on our way to Hong Kong, um, going into the schools there. We're going to Colombia to the schools there. We're working on Peru. Um, we're working on Iceland right now, which is rated the most godless country in the world. So I'm like, let's go there. And uh, we're just doing it. And uh, we're in the middle of a revival. We're in the middle of a revival. People are getting saved. They're getting healed. It's just amazing. So anyway, that's all Jesus stuff, and Jesus is the founder of the Whosoever's Movement. It's the Whosoever's Movement. Whosoever's means anybody's. Movement is a movement of the Holy Spirit, a movement of anybody being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's God's movement. He's in control. He does it. So let's get into the message. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to pick up. The story is going to be a day in the life of Jesus Christ in John chapter 12, verse, John chapter 12, verse, I'm going to pick up in verse 20. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to, I'm going to lead up to this moment. I'm going to do an overview of Jesus's life leading up to this moment where we're going to pick up in John chapter 12, verse 20. So here we go. James 1, verses 2 to 4. Just You don't have to turn anywhere. Just stay there in John and just listen to what I'm going to say, and then we'll just pick up in these verses. James 1, verse 2 to 4. It's about faith and endurance. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, so he's talking to all of us here. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. And by the way, I teach out a new living translation because I got really bad reading level. So I got to be able to read something I could actually understand the words. Um, so bear with me. But I do study under Chuck Smith, which is the King James, believe it or not. Okay. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. I hate that verse. When things, when, when, when there's troubles, consider an opportunity for great joy. But we keep reading, and he says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, 
needing nothing. In 10 years of me being a Christian, I've experienced many types of storms. I'm meeting with people that are going through storms or my own personal storms. I'm either going into a storm, I'm in the middle of a storm, or I'm coming out of a storm. And when that's not happening, I see a storm brewing in front of me, or I see a storm I just left behind me. If I was a garbage pail kid, oh, my, my life was very stormy. If I was a garbage pail kid, they would call me Stormy Normie. But what I've come to realize is that not all storms have come to disrupt our life. Some have come to clear our path. Not all storms have come to disrupt our life. Some have come to clear our path. My message today is called God Signs in the Storms. Eleven years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ in a hotel room. I was managing a professional skateboard team traveling the world. Basically, like John 1 says, or 1 John says, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, these are not from the Father. I went after that stuff for 20-something years and uh, worked with the biggest rock and hip-hop bands in the planet, did music festivals, the whole thing. Found myself on a skateboard tour through Mexico, Costa Rica, and Panama, OD'd in a hotel room, nine days of Xanax, cocaine, and alcohol. OD'd for the third time in my life. I ended up in a hotel room in Costa Rica the next day, came out of it by God's grace, and I just said, Jesus, if you're real, prove that you're real to me, and I'll follow you. Even though I grew up in church, I wanted nothing to do with God, didn't want anything to do with religion. I thought if I was a Christian, my life was going to be boring and lame. Well, I was misinformed. I gave my life to Jesus. I said, Jesus, forgive me for my sins and come into my life. And I thought that uh, Jesus was going to show up in my hotel room with clouds and rainbows and lightning bolts and be like, my son, Ryan, I've been waiting for you, you dirty sinner. <laughs> dirty sinner I was. And uh, that didn't happen. But I stole the Bible from the hotel room, a Gideon Bible in the Sheraton Hotel of Costa Rica. Stole it, got on a plane, read it for six hours straight. The Bible is the DNA of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the DNA of holiness. I read it. I landed. I felt peace for the first time in my life. Went home, went to bed, woke up the next morning, heard the song singing through my head. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in him. This is the same thing they were singing when Jesus revealed on Palm Sunday that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah to the nation of Israel. Jesus revealed that he was the Son of God and that he was real to me. And that was the day that the Lord has made for me. And from that point... I gave my life to Jesus, um, tried to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I, I came out of that storm, encountered the living God of the universe, but I entered another storm. What am I going to do with my life now that I'm a Christian? What does that even look like? So I went to Israel, to the Holy Land. I did the tour, saw everywhere where Jesus roamed, and all the historic, historical facts. The tomb was empty. And I ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when I was in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, you know Pancho Juarez, right? He gave a message about the night before Jesus went to the cross. And he says, not my will, thy will be done. You guys know the story. Jesus says, Father God in heaven, if, you don't want, if I could not go to the cross and die that brutal death, and you could take the sins away from the world any other way, please take this cup from me. Don't let me go to the cross just let me do whatever else, but it's not my will, your will be done. And God heard that prayer, and he was with him on the way to the cross, and he went to go die for the sins of the world, and it was God's will to be done in his life. So Pancho said, all you guys are here, you all came to Israel with baggage from L.A. Now either you're going to 
leave your baggage here in the garden. Say, not my will, Father God, but thy will be done as it is on earth as it is in heaven. Or you're going to take all your baggage back to L.A. And you're going to be the same person when you got home. And that really hit me hard. So I went to the garden. He says, now all you guys go to the garden. And you all go make peace with God. And you decide what you're going to do. Are you going to leave your bags here? Or you're going to take them back home? And I went out there and I said, Jesus. I said, whatever you want to do in my life. I said, I'll follow you. I don't even know what this looks like. But here I am. I'm, a, I'm whoever. I'm a whatever. Whosoever. Whatever. I'm an anybody from a bum to a president. Somewhere in between. Whosoever. I said, whatever you want to do with my life, I'll follow you. If you want me to tell my story, have someone contact me that's not in my inner circle. So I know it's you. I need a sign in the storm. That's what it was. I didn't say I need a sign in the storm. I just said I need a sign. But I was in a storm. And the next day I was in Israel with the lead singer of POD, also the co-founder of the Whosoever's Movement. And I said, I, and I got a phone call from a pastor in Las Vegas, and he said, Ryan, I want you to come tell your story at my church. I was like, Jesus, I was joking. I didn't know you answered prayers that fast. A sign in the storm. So I told Sonny what happened. He said, Ryan, I got your back side by side. I'll roll with you. To Vegas we go. Well, when I got home, we ended up going out to Las Vegas to tell, to tell my story. And little did I know that simple act of obedience, even though I was terrified of being on stage and telling my story because it was bad, I was terrified. I never wanted to do that. That simple act of obedience of me talking to God, him talking back, just like Peter, when they were on the stormy sea in the storm, Jesus comes walking on water. Peter's like, is that you, Jesus? Yeah, Pete, it's me, dog. What's up? <laughs> Wait, Jesus, is that you? They thought it was a ghost. I couldn't tell. If that's you, tell me to come walking on water to you. Is Peter crazy? Walking on water? Yeah, Pete, it's me. Roll out, dog. I'm out here chilling, walking on water. <laughs> Peter steps out of the boat. The other disciples are all scared. They didn't do nothing. They were terrified. They didn't do nothing. What did Peter do? Stepped out of the boat and started living the impossible. Walking on water. Why? He talked to Jesus. He asked him a question. Jesus answered. And he stepped out by faith. And that little simple act of faith, even though it was terrified, he, terrifying, he started living the impossible. Me, in the same way, I talked to God. He gave me the answer. I stepped out by faith out of that boat. And I went and I drove to Vegas. And that simple act of obedience bound my will and surrendered. I showed up. I ended up calling the lead singer, or Sonny went out with me, the guitar player from Corn and the lead singer from POD. I called them to come out to you. They all showed up. And instead of me going on stage that day by myself, we all went on that stage together. And that was the birth of the Whosoever's movement without the movement even existing. We started living the impossible. The movement was birthed from a simple act of obedience. I started living the impossible. But then... I found myself in another storm. We started doing music festivals. Some of you guys probably went there. And, you know, I was doing ministry. I was touring, you know, the whole, whatever, just doing ministry, just living the impossible, basically. That's what happens when you have a relationship with Jesus and you're filled with the Spirit. You live the impossible. Things that you thought could never happen, happen. God starts working supernaturally in the natural realm in our life because he's a supernatural God. He's the creator of all things. But then I found myself in another storm. I was single and ready to mingle. 
for five years, that is not cool. I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm like, okay, I want to, you know, I want a girl. I want to get married, have kids one day. And I prayed for five years, and God didn't answer my prayer for five years. Don't you hate when he does that? Praying, and I'd be mad. God, where is the girl of my dreams? Do you have her? And I know some of you guys say that prayer. It's all good. It's true, though. It gets frustrating, right? It does. And after five years, finally, I was like, dude, that's it, God. I remember just getting out of the shower because I talked to God in the shower because there's no devices. There's no, like, distractions. You know what I mean? You, or brushing your teeth, you know? I don't know. I, I, that's when I talk to God a lot. There's no. And I'm like, God, do you have the girl of my dreams? Just give me a sign. Just say yes or no. And I heard him just say yes, a sign in the storm. I said, all right, I'm going to stop bugging you. But I kept bugging him. Where's she at? Where's she at? Where's she at? Finally, anyway, long story short, it's a whole other story, but God brings me the girl of my dreams. And we start dating, and then a division breaks out. I'm teaching at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. This is when Chuck was alive. I was doing an evangelistic night called Shine. And uh, a division breaks out. Girls in the leadership, one of the girls liked me. They came against my, my new girlfriend, which was not even a Christian her whole life. She was a Catholic, and then she found God. Not a practicing Catholic, but she found God. And within two weeks of finding her, the, the church girls came against her, spitting poison and gossip and lying like James. It says the tongue could either bless someone or curse someone. It's like spitting fire, like, like poison, poisonous stuff coming from the tongue of sudden fire by hell itself. Division breaks out in the church. Then the division spreads to my team. Then the division spreads to my immediate family with my mom and my dad. There's lies and all kinds of crazy stuff happening birth from the church. Crazy stuff. I'm in a storm. Everything that God has allowed me to do in my life for five years, it all feels like it's crumbling. The movement, the, 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 the church study I had. So I ended up kicking out the division makers of the church. I used my dad's wisdom. He's all, just tell them, them and all their friends, they could just go. Said, you and no, take whoever you guys want, just go. Only they left. Everyone else stayed. God kept pouring out his spirit at that church. That church service turned into two services to LA and, and Diamond Bar, Orange County and Diamond Bar. Then I was in a place where I was, during this division, I was in a very dark place in my life. And I, and I was, I'd go on uh, walks, which in, um, down where I live in Orange County and Laguna Hills, there are these hills you hike. And I listen to Chuck Smith for a couple hours, and then I go pray in this cave that they have there, this area. And I remember being in that cave, and I was just like, God, is this guy going to leave and this guy going to leave? And I heard him just say, yes, a sign in the storm. God speaks when you seek him. Seek him, and you will find him. Knock, and the door will be open. Seeking means to be on hunt for, to be looking out for. Are we looking for God, or are we just like, God, I wish you would just speak to me. You know, I'm just going to be caught up in all the noise. If you truly seek him, and you're on hunt for, and you're looking out for him, you will find him. He spoke to me. Shortly after that, those people dismissed themselves. Now I have no whosoever's team. And I'm like, okay, cool, God, you're in the details. Shortly after that, hired two other guys. Immediately, God brought them. And during that time, what I didn't tell you is I received a vision, a vision like that you would read about in, you know, in Acts or the prophets would get these visions, prophetic visions. I received a prophetic vision that was emailed to me from a girl that doesn't know anything that's going on in the back end because I don't talk to her. And the vision was she saw a tool shed, and on the tool shed it said whosoever is forever. And Jesus in the vision was pulling out old, broken down, rusted hammers, old, broken down tools and removing them. And I guess in the vision, I was going, why are you removing these tools from the tool shed? I need them for the movement. And basically, 
what God did in, the, in that vision, he took out the old broken down ones and started replacing it with a heavy-duty hammer that would never rust or never break. All these heavy-duty tools. He was replacing the team. So shortly after that vision, God replaced the team with new members. And from that point on, then we started praying and fasting, going, God, what do you want to do in our life with the movement now? And God showed us to start going to the high schools. And from that point, the revival started breaking out because not all storms have come to disrupt our life. Some have come to clear a path. God needed a clean house. He was showing me people's character around me. And he was put, you can't put the new wine in the old wineskins or else they'll break. When God wants to move and shake and move things around and pour out his spirit and start doing a revival, he has to cut back and, and, and shake things up a little bit so he can do his new work. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever but what does jesus say about signs and wonders in mark 16 verses 14 to 20 it's about the great commission jesus says this later he appeared to the 11 disciples and he sat at the table he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of hearts because they did not believe in those who had seen him raise, raise him from, uh, risen from the dead they didn't believe in the signs and wonders that jesus raised from the dead even though he was with them for three years they still didn't get it. And remember, faith and unbelief cannot coexist. They're mutually exclusive. And he said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. When Jesus says they will, you better underline that in your Bible. He says, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, by no means will hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There's that story where Paul got shipwrecked. He went on the island of Patmos, I believe, and he got bit by that poisonous snake. And they go, you're a dirty prisoner. You're going to die. Ha ha. And then he lived and like, oh, he's a god. Right? Demon possession. We just casted a demon out of a girl a couple months ago at my church from Pomona, P-Town. 19, 19 years old. We were going to Rancho Cucamonga. Actually, it was at the beginning of the school year. Sorry, I'm getting old, so months fly. Beginning of the school year, the first week of school, we were going to go to Rancho Cucamonga. There was four suicides in Rancho Cucamonga in, in the high school uh, during summer, and the first week of school, there was another four suicides. We were going to go. We got blackballed the day we showed up. The enemy did whatever he did and got us blackballed. We showed up back at the church. And I'm like, why, God? These students, they're committing suicide. We can't get, get in. We can't get in. We're sitting in my office. My dad walks by and goes, hey, there's a girl down there. She doesn't look good. You should go talk to her. I go down there. I walk in. And the, and the pastors are down there. And they're like, yeah, we think she's, demon, uh, she's being oppressed. I go, really? Let me sit down. I look at her. Holy Spirit gives me a word of knowledge, discerning the spirits. I go, what's your name, unclean spirit? She goes, and manifest. Boom. Basically, long, long story short, we, it, it was, she was completely deceived with word of knowledge and the gifts of the Holy Spirit manifesting in these sessions. We're taking her to the word of God. We're getting word of knowledge. The, that's how the gifts operate in these situations, Right? This is why we have the gifts. And they're all operating in all of us. And basically what happened is it all led her to this point to where finally at the end, 
She's like, how do you know this stuff about me? And by the way, we're fighting with the demon. At first, the, the, at first I was talking to her, the demon wouldn't let her talk. It like locked her jaw. You hear about in the Bible when demons throw people under the fire and they're foaming at the mouth and all this stuff. It's in the Gospels. This demon wouldn't let her talk. So I just said, in the name of Jesus, demon, unlock her jaw. And she unlocked her jaw so she was able to talk, right? Because we have power in the name of Jesus. Long story short, at the very end, basically my friend gets a word of knowledge and goes, She's like, how do you know these things about us? And we're like, dude, the Holy Spirit, we know every, God knows everything about you. This demon's lying to you right now about all this stuff. And then he goes, hey, I got a question for you. He's like, did this demon tell you that you were going to, because she thought she was going to be rich and famous. Did this demon tell you that you were going to be rich and famous by prostituting your body? And she just looks at us like a deer in headlights. And that was the moment of clarity. And we said, you have been deceived. And she, she goes, well, what do I do? I go, Confess your sins. Just ask Jesus to forgive you. She just prays out loud. She says, Jesus, forgive me. And then all of a sudden she goes, I've been forgiven. I go, how do you know you've been forgiven? She goes, because I saw a picture of my life. It was, it was God gave her a vision right there on the spot. She saw, I saw my whole life and it was all black and I saw blood go over it and I turned white as snow. And she goes, I, I was forgiven. And we, we anointed her and prayed for her. Signs and wonders. Jesus says, go out and preach the gospel, and signs and wonders will follow. There was a guy in, in, in uh, well, here's the story. I was in Mexico recently, and we were, we were doing an afterglow, and, and I just said, hey, does anyone need to get healed here? We're going to pray for healing. And this girl raises her hand, and I don't know what's going on with her, and I just said, okay, now you next to her, you lay your hands on her, because God, God's the healer. It's not me. I go, you put your hands on her. You pray that she gets healed. She prays. Next you know, she starts moving her hand. She comes up to after me, and she goes, I have um, lupus, where, and I guess her hand, it's been locked up for like three weeks or something, locked where she couldn't move, and she does worship, and she's been in chronic pain for like two or three weeks. Well, after she says, I can move it now. Well, it turns out her dad's the Calvary Chapel pastor of Tijuana. He comes up after me, goes, thank you for praying for my wife, my daughter. Her hand's been locked up for two to three weeks now, and she's been in chronic pain, and now she's fully moving it dissolved. God just healed her right on the spot. This other guy in New Jersey, I can tell you people getting healed all the time. We go, we're in New Jersey. This guy comes up to me. He goes, Ryan, he goes, I've been on Oxycontin for 14 years because I have chronic pain with my, he had like some leakage of stuff in his brain and his spine and some crazy stuff. So he told me, I start walking away and the Holy Spirit says, go pray for him. So I'm like, okay, we go back. And I go, everyone get in a circle. Let's all lay our hands. And we prayed in the name of Jesus, heal him. That day, he stopped taking Oxycontin. He's been healed for like nine years now. Ever since, no pain, nothing. I was just with him in Philadelphia, speaking at Calvary Chapel, Philly, and I got to tell his testimony there. God heals all the time. Signs and wonders will follow, Jesus says. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven. He sat up down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord was working with them, confirming the word of God through the accompanying signs. Lessons. What did they do? They obeyed God. They preached. The word of God was confirmed. Signs and wonders followed. Looking at Jesus' public ministry, he was born of a virgin. He obeyed God to the point in in Luke 3, where it says that he walked up and, and he said, you know, baptize me. And John the Baptist says, I can't baptize you. I'm not even worthy to stoop down. He says, this is what God requires. The sky split. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says he was led by the Holy Spirit. It says he was driven by the Holy Spirit in Mark where he fasted ferociously and prayed hard for 40 days. He was tempted by Satan with the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. 
He fought off Satan with the word of God the same way we fight off Satan because that is the truth. He made disciples. He got ordinary men and he did extraordinary things with men and women. He preached in teaching from city to city in the temples, house ministry, street ministry, large crowds, and one-on-one -on -one ministry. He was showing God's love, his grace, his mercy, and living out the Great Commission. Jesus Christ was unorthodox. He was radical to the point to where at the beginning of his ministry and at the end, he cleared the temple. It says that he kicked over the tables, knocked over the money changers, made a whip, and chased all the men and animals out. If you've been to Israel, that's a very large area for Jesus to be wiling out, running back and forth. And the disciples are probably like, who is this guy? He just said, follow me, and now he's tearing it up in the temple? We're going to die. No, seriously. It was operated by the Roman guards, right? And the Pharisees, these guys could have got taken out easily. They're like, who is this guy? Jesus was a man's man. He was radical. A.W. Tozer says, Jesus Christ was untamable. Jesus did many miraculous signs and wonders. He turned water into wine, cast out demons, healed the paraplegic, the blind, the sick, the deaf, the man with leprosy, the woman bleeding for 12 years. No money, no doctors, no science could fix her problem, but uh, re reaching out to Jesus by faith, healing power went out. He fed the 5,000, plus the women and children, you know, up to 15,000 people. He silenced the storm by speaking. He walked on water. He fulfilled prophecy after prophecy. And then he raised Jairus' daughter and Lazarus from the dead. Only the Son of God can do that. Then he went to the cross and died and raised from the dead. Another miraculous sign proving that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. John 20 says this. Jesus did, Jesus' disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to these ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Warren Wearsby says this, Faith in his miracles should lead to faith in his word of God and to personal faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Faith in the miracles lead to personal faith in the word of God and to personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, with all that said, let's look at a day in life with Jesus Christ in the storm. So all that leads up to this one moment I want to hone in on. So now it's Palm Sunday. Jesus did all that, plus he raised Lazarus from the dead. Everyone's talking about it. They didn't have social media. It was all word of mouth, right? But it's during the, 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 the Passover celebration. There could have been up to 1.2 million people or more here in Jerusalem. The word's out. Jesus is tearing it up. He just raised a dead man. Who does that? Then he comes in on Palm Sunday. They start laying the palm branches down. He's riding on a donkey, and they're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Praise to the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. This is the day that the Lord has made, right? Fulfilling prophecy, Psalms 118, then, and also prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, and then even up to the exact date in Daniel 9. And then, verse 20, it says, Some of the Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Baselda in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. So Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replies, 
Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Now the time has come for the Messiah to enter his glory. All Jesus sees is the cross, the cross, the cross. This is the end of Jesus' three-year public, end of his three-year public ministry. Now all he knows is he's going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. We know that Jesus Christ got sent on a rescue mission out of eternity from Father God to die for the sins of the world and that whosoever from bums the presence that would believe by faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah will live forever with the blood that was shed on the cross will wash you white as snow and then he will send the Holy Spirit as you believe in him and he will fill you and he will baptize you and the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to purge and destroy everything that is unholy in our life. It's a raging waves of living water of the power from heaven, the dunamis power, and that's how you start living the life that you were created for. But now the time has come for the Messiah to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful of harvest of new lives. Here he is predicting his death, but I'm going to come back to that and break that down in a minute. Going on, verse 25, it says, Those who love their life in this world will lose it, but those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. What is he saying? He's talking to us. He's saying, try to live your life. If you go and live your life in this world without making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, then you're going to lose it for eternity. And then you have two options to pick from. He's talking about eternity here. You have smoking or non-smoking. He's talking about heaven and hell. Jesus refers to hell over like 260 times in the New Testament. Why? Because he wants no one to go there. It's serious. It's a serious place of torment when you read about it, it doesn't sound very inviting. It's, it's forever and ever and ever. And this is why Jesus came on the rescue mission to come to the cross and die for the sins of the world so no one would perish. Whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life and live forever. This is why Jesus came. So, but he tells us a little bit better in Matthew 16, 24. He says, if any of you want to be my followers or my disciples, he's talking to us. You must turn from your selfish ways. What are our selfish ways? Our body appetites. Turn from our selfish ways. Turn from our body appetites daily, it says in Luke. Pick up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, I'm going to do it my way, you're going to lose it, he says. But if you give up your life for his sake, you're going to save it. And what does a man profit if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? What body appetites that you're bowing down to, that's your God, because those are God's small g, what are you bowing down to? Is that worth your soul? Is it your porn addiction? 68% of men, this is an old statistic, 68% of men in church consume pornography. 50% of, of women in the church consume pornography. These are old statistics. Those numbers are way higher. It's almost equal now. Porn is dominating. And that's the God of Baal, the worship, porn, pills, anger, bitterness, resentment, all these footholds that the enemy gets in us, these body appetites. What is it? The lust. The, what, uh, I don't know. We all got to do inventory on our lives. I got my own issues. I got an anger problem I'm trying to work out. You know what I mean? We're all, we, I'm not here to say that you guys are all sinners. I'm a sinner. 
We're all sinners saved by grace, but this is why we need the power in our life. And there's no way you're going to have the power in your life if you're following the lust of the eye, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. That's the body appetites. This is why Jesus tells us, because we want to be followers, we're all in it together. We got to deny ourselves daily, pick up our cross. The cross is a beautiful place because the remission of sins and the forgiveness, but it's a brutal place of death. The cat of nine tails whipped Jesus 39 times, ripping the flesh just crushing them, spitting on them, hanging them from the cross, putting a crown of thorns in his head. It's brutal. It was the worst, worst death punishment you could ever have. And Jesus is saying, you got to get our body appetites and hang them to the cross and crucify them. Romans 8, 13, only in the King James Version says, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye live after the spirit and do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. We got to mortify, we got to murder the flesh. We got to kill the noise. We got to deny self. We got to surrender to God. We need to destroy all gods in our life so that we can live because there's nothing worth more than our souls. And then Jesus says, Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. Well, where's he going? He's going to the cross to die. If we want to follow him, we got to head to the cross daily. And then he says, Because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Well, where's he going to go after the cross? He tells us in chapter 14, don't let, chapter 14, verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There's more than enough rooms in my father's home. And if it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come get you so that you will always be where I am. Always be, I love that. Always be where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Well, the disciples didn't know, but we know he's going through the cross to die. And that's how he's getting. He's going to resurrect and go to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. And we can come boldly to the throne of grace whenever we have issues. And God will hear our prayers. And he works out his eternal purpose in our life. That is the good news of the gospel. Isn't that epic? Yes. Verse 27. Getting to the end here. Now, now Jesus flips from, a, from speaking to a prayer. Now my soul is deeply troubled. What do I say or what should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. But this is the very reason why I came. Why did he come? Back to verse 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful of harvest of new lives. Just like a seed, a dead seed, a plant seed. You get it, you plant it into the earth, you water it, it produces a plant. That plant produces flowers or fruits or whatever. And then those seeds come out of those flowers. They die. They go into the ground and repeat. Plentiful harvest. In the same way, Jesus is saying, I must go and die on the tree, the cross. And my body must be buried into the earth for three days. And then the torrents of living water is going to come raise me from the dead, the Holy Spirit, and I will send to the Father God and I will send the Holy Spirit to everyone else who believes. And that's the plentiful of harvest, of new lives, the Spirit-led life, the Holy Ghost life, the power of the Holy Spirit in us believers. John 3.16 or John 3, that whole chapter. And in the same way, we, me, Ryan Reese, that anger problem, Things from my past that I struggle with. 
pornography and stuff from my past that will haunt me at times. I've not bowed down to pornography since I got saved. You know, six months after I got saved, God touched my life. I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, and that was a wrap for the last 11 years now. Never went back. No turning back. I'm with Jesus now. But I got other issues in my life, as we all do. Every day, I got to get my body appetites. I got to take them to the cross and kill them and crucify them. I need to bury that old self run race into the ground and then i need to live by that new spirit-led life that holy ghost life the power from heaven the torrents of living water romans 8 verse 11 says this the spirit of god who raised jesus from the dead lives in you and just as god raised jesus christ from the dead he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you So Jesus says, now my soul is deeply troubled. What do I say? What do I pray? Father, save me from this hour. Then he says, but this is the very reason why I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Here's Jesus. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. His soul is deeply troubled. He's in a storm. He knows when you go through storms. In your life, he knows this is the ultimate storm right here. He knows he's going to die and get murdered, and it's going to be brutal. He knows what he's about to face. So what does he do? He prays. That's just talking to God. God, save me from this hour, but then he reasons. He reasons that this is part of God's eternal plan and purpose for mankind. God is working out his eternal plan and purpose in this moment. Just like when we go through storms, God's working out his eternal plan and purpose for our lives. We know that one verse that says, all things work together for good for those that love Christ according to his purpose. According for those who are in Christ, according to his purpose. We need to be connected to Christ, the divine And all things work together for good for those that love Christ according to his purpose. And then what does he do? He submits, Father, bring glory to your name. Three years ago, me and my wife went through um, infertility. We couldn't get pregnant. Some of you guys have heard this and some of you haven't. I'm going to give a little bit more details here. And we couldn't get pregnant for two years and we were in a storm in our life. And I see depression and anxiety coming over my wife. That's not one of her issues. But it was happening at this point. And I was like, you know what? No baby's going to be our God. I've, I've heard people, they get divorced because they're trying to have kids forever. And they're miscarriages. And it just splinters the whole family. And we're like, God, you're the creator of the universe. If we don't get pregnant this month, then we're going to stop trying. We tried fertility treatments and all kinds of stuff. Nothing would work. And we're like, God, if we don't get pregnant this month, we're done, Skeets. Boom, we get pregnant. That month, we go to the doctors. They discover that, you know, we have twins, fraternal twins. And he says, this is a high-risk pregnancy. Keep coming back every two weeks. We go back two weeks later, and he, he checked baby A and B. I make a joke. I look at the screen. I said, oh, my gosh, doctor, what is that? And he says, there's another one in there. <laughs> the egg, and I'm like, what? And he's like, the egg split and identical twins a week late. You're having triplets. And we're like, all right. And he's like, this is a really high-risk pregnancy. He's like, we can't even give you a picture of baby C because the egg split a week late. And most likely, there's this thing called vanishing twin where the baby's going to die out. So we can't give you a picture of baby C. So we go back. We pray, God, you're the giver of life. Let baby C catch up. So basically what happens is we go back two weeks later. Baby C catches up. And from there, what happens is we keep going back. Um, we keep going back every two weeks. We get to 16 weeks, and the doctor says, listen, we're sorry, but these babies are millimeters from coming out. 
your your wife's cervix is basically given. And they're millimeters. They're gonna they're gonna come out. And they're gonna die. There's nothing we can do. Like the woman, remember the woman that was sick and bleeding for 12 years? They're like, no money, no doctors, no procedures. Nothing can fix this problem. They're gonna die. And we were in the storm, and we we're just we're, all our hope was just in Christ. And we're like, God, even though the doctors and no one could do anything, you can do something. And we received a vision, sign and a wonder in the storm. Because remember, all signs and wonders always point back to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The Word of God is real. And that's what they do. Signs and wonders point that he's real and the Word of God is real. That's how it all works. And the, the, the vision was a, uh, we had a vision. My mom had a vision in the middle of the night, and it was a stormy sea. From, and on the, on the stormy sea, there was a boat from Jesus' time. And there was a baby with brown hair looking out the front and two identical twins sleeping in the front of the boat. And the boat transformed into Jesus' hand in the storm. So we knew these babies were in a storm, but they were in Jesus' hands. Then we received another vision, and there was three coffins with a rose in each coffin. And on each coffin, it said fear. And in the vision, Jesus walked by and wiped off fear off each coffin. Then we received a dream from another girl, and she saw my wife with this huge belly. So we knew that the signs and wonders always point back to the word of God is real and that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Then my wife got put on bed rest. And then they were saying, we got to take the babies out, because the, but if their lungs aren't developed, they're going to have to have lung surgery and all this crazy bad news over and over and over. And basically, God ended up keeping those babies in to like eight months, and we had healthy triplet daughters with no health problems at all. And what's so interesting is, you can clap. And what I didn't tell you is that when I wasn't a Christian, I got married to a girl when I was 21. I wasn't a Christian at all. I got her pregnant. She aborted a kid without telling me. Then I got her pregnant again, and we went to the doctors, and they discovered that we had identical twins, but one died out from vanishing twin. And we decided to have the kid, and a couple weeks later, she called me, and she says, she's too young. She doesn't want to do it, and she aborted the other kid. I got in a divorce, got a divorce where there were a lot of pain and stuff that went along with that. And then God ended up giving me back to two identical twins and the fraternal in the same scenario all in one batch. And this is the story that I'm touring the schools with, telling people about God's grace and mercy in my life. And this is why we've seen 38,000 or 39,000 people give their life to the Lord just in the last three years. Because not all signs or not all storms have come to disrupt our life. Some have come to clear our path. So in the end, Jesus says this, now my soul is deeply troubled. What do I say or what should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. Save me from this storm, God. Maybe you're asking God right now, but he's working out his eternal plan and purpose in your life right now because all things work together for good for those that love Christ according to his purpose. So what does Jesus do? He's our example. Then he reasons and he says, but this is the very reason why I came. He reasons and then he submits, Father, just bring glory to your name. Not my will, Father God. Thy will be done as it is on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus. And then a voice spoke from heaven. Boom. A sign in the sky. I've already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. And when the crowd heard this voice, some thought it was thunder. A sign in the sky. A wonder. While others declared it was an angel who had spoken from heaven. Then Jesus told them, this voice was for your benefit, not for mine. God's voice confirmed when Jesus was in a storm, he talked to him. He confirmed that he was with them, a sign in the storm that he was with them on the way to the cross, that he was working out his eternal plan and purpose. And it also proves to everyone that was around him on this day during Passover celebration that it proves that he was in touch with the Father God 
And through the signs and wonders, they would believe that the word of God is real and that Jesus Christ is the Messiah because all signs and wonders always point back to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that the word of God is real.